think I've made this joke on the show before, but uh, whenever we have a false start beginning to an episode, it always reminds me of that episode of The Office where Pam doesn't patch the calls through to Michael right away because Michael's first time answering <laughs> always comes with such a bad joke or something idiotic that he says, and then she patches it through the second time and it goes better. So we already have like one false start beginning to episode 179, and uh, maybe this one will be better. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Uh, yeah, we can already say this is better because it hasn't taken an hour and 15 minutes. Yes. Like the first one did. And we actually know what uh, episode we're recording. We do. So that's also. We do. And it is a very special edition, not like full house special edition. Like it's not going to be very emotionally <laughs> meaningful. But uh, this week on this uh, latest 179th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykstra. And we are joined to bookend the 2018 season by our fellow MILB.com writers, Kelsey Hennigan and Josh Jackson. Hello, guys. Hey, you guys. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Josh is still there. That was what caused Josh, the you false can't start. do that to us again. <laughs> what caused us the false start was when we first started recording uh, on on take number one, Josh just immediately dropped off the call. So anytime we hear like a, a little bit of a, a pregnant pause now, we're going to be freaked out that Josh is gone. I'll try to interrupt people <laughs> that way. Yeah, thank you. Just do it every I'm time. Just jump in as assertively here. as possible. Um, so this week we uh, we did. If you were with us back in March, um, or maybe we actually released that episode in April. Either way, in any event, uh, we did our season preview episode of the 2018 minor league baseball campaign, and in that episode. We got a chance to give you our predictions on things like the most interesting lineup in minor league baseball, best rotation, best overall team, best breakout prospect, future rookies of the year, the Bauman home run award winner that we would project in this season. And uh, and we are back here at the end of September to show you how wrong we were on the vast majority of those things. Everybody excited? I mean, I think we were right more than we were wrong, really. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah, yeah we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd say more. If this isn't going to be a, a self-flogging, I'm not interested. <laughs> Josh will drop out again. It's just going to be all bad things for the next 30 minutes. Well, let's get started. Um, so those were the categories that we chose back in March, and uh, we are going to run through the categories, all of our picks, and then we'll have a discussion about uh, how right or wrong we were and um, what our feelings are now looking back on the, the postmortem of 2018 on who best fits those categories uh, as we give it the final analysis for this season. So let's start. In this week's episode of the show before the shows, we forego, we eschew our normal format. No three strikes this week. We're going to dive into all this stuff and uh, and we'll kick it off with most interesting lineup. Um, here were our picks. Josh Jackson picked the AAA Durham Bulls, who, as we know, made it on to the AAA National Championship game for the second consecutive year. Sam Dykstra picked the eventual Eastern League champion, New Hampshire Fisher Cats. It was the easiest pick possible, whatever, Sam. Kelsey Hannigan picked a playoff team in the Lancaster Jetawks from the California League, and I picked the Daytona Tortugas of the Florida State League. Um, let's, uh, I guess, give us just some some initial thoughts about this. Josh, let's start with you since you're the first one that I've got uh, alphabetically listed as our pick. Um, and then we'll go to, to Sam and Kelsey, and uh, and we'll talk about uh, how we felt going into the season and, and how it looks now viewing back on it. Yeah, I don't think um, – I, I can't flog myself too too thoroughly about, about picking uh, Durham. Obviously, as you said uh, – they they won the governor's cup. It's got a it's good for something. Um, <laughs> and, but I mean, 
Yeah, you, you and you and Tyler, you made fun of Sam for for going with an easy pick in New Hampshire, but um, the way that the season unfolded, uh, New Hampshire was, I think, um, just hands down the most interesting lineup yeah. uh, f- far and away. Um, I'll save some suspense by also saying I think that lineup was so interesting that it made it, it also made it the best, you know, the, the most interesting overall team. Um, so putting in my, my two cents for that category, uh, right now too, and, and saying, uh, good job, Sam, in, <laughs> in being willing to, to take, um, Tyler's guff, um, it's a weekly and, <laughs> and, I was going to say, yeah, you're with, and, clearly you're a weekly listener on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, I, Durham, great, interesting lineup. Yes. This was a season of New Hampshire. Yeah, and just to kind of piggyback on that, just looking back on what made this interesting for New Hampshire coming into the year, uh, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, uh, Jonathan Davis, all in that lineup. We expected it to be dynamic. We expected there to be a lot of hits, a good amount of power. Uh, Kevin Biggio ended up being the Eastern League MVP and rookie of the year and we can have a different conversation about why the eastern league has a rookie of the year when most players there are rookies but anyway um but just the fact that given the talent we expected to go there just see him come through and really have a breakout season he was a 2020 player uh 20 plus home runs 21 stolen bases playing all over the infield uh, we talked to their manager, John Schneider, earlier in the season. You can listen back to that podcast as well. Um, you know, Vlad Jr. flirting with 400 during his entire time with New Hampshire. And I, I went on Toronto radio uh, around the, the trade deadline, and they asked, did Bo Bichette have a disappointing season to that point? And it's really funny to think about him being disappointing because, once again, he was a solid hitter. You know, yes, Vlad won the bet minor league batting title this year. So Bo had to give up that. Uh, but it's just hilarious to me that a guy who ended the season, you know, with 43 doubles hitting 286 and had a 796 OPS playing at double a at age 20, uh, felt like a disappointment. And, and I get where that comes from. You know, if you were expecting him to be a 330, 340 hitter everywhere he was going to go, um, yes, 286 feels like a disappointment, but uh, to see him again playing in those gaps, showing a good amount of power for his age, uh, getting to a lot of hits, being fairly consistent, and also adding 32 stolen bases. Uh, it, this lineup was just so much fun to watch. I feel like we were talking about it more, not just for Vlad Jr., uh, who we talk in week in, week out on this show, but uh, some of those other guys. Um, j- and to see, you know, we joked during the preview podcast, I listened back to it, uh, about New Hampshire being the easy pick and, and feeling like that was going out the easy way. But uh, to see them fulfill expectations like that was very satisfying from April all the way to September. And, uh, yeah, as far as a lineup that was interesting, that was good top to bottom, uh, I think we talked about New Hampshire more than anything else. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I, I agree, the Fisher Cats were definitely, the team that we were writing or almost writing every night uh like you said about Biggio also John Birdie he hit for the cycle he just got his first major league hit tonight uh, on Wednesday um but I think 
in terms of interesting, I kind of found Salt Lake at AAA pretty interesting because all year long they led most offensive categories in the hitter-friendly PCL, but they didn't necessarily have any names that you were we were going to write about. Um, I mean, yeah, they had David Fletcher and Ward at times, uh, Matt Face for a little bit, but I mean, it was really just Jose Fernandez, Jabari Blash, who was leading it. But again, I think at the end of the year they led the PCL, which again is already all the top hitters um, and hitter-friendly parks. But they led the league in average, slugging, OPS, RBI, home runs, hits, and runs. And it's just amazing to see that type of dominance when you don't have a bow or a Vlad or a Biggio or like the big names like that. So also interesting. But yeah, New Hampshire is definitely the best lineup this year. I uh, went with Daytona, and um, Daytona didn't have a, a bad season, and prospects there had pretty good years. Uh, Ibondale Elizabeth hit 35 home runs. We'll talk a little bit about him as the show goes along. TJ Friedel, uh, former uh, the show before the show guest, a 294 average this season. I think TJ Friedel only played 64 games there, but I think people kind of expected at some point TJ Friedel was going to take maybe a little bit of a step back in that system, and he has been really, really good. Um, Taylor Trammell at 277 with a 781 OPS, but it wasn't really you know a jaw dropping awe inspiring type of lineup uh that team ended up playing three games over 500 for the entirety of the season um in the florida state league and um you know they won the first half uh in the north division they were competitive in the in the second half in the north division and you know overall it was good um i don't think great i think new hampshire pretty much everything pales in comparison to new hampshire so we're all uh in consensus about that um we'll go with our uh we'll move to the the rotation side we'll talk a little bit of pitching um we had two picks that were the same sam and kelsey both went with triple a gwinnett and uh for good reason that rotation at the start of the season graduated basically everybody the braves have a rotation full of kids that are barely out of eighth grade it seems like at this point josh went with the double a birmingham barons i went with double a san antonio which may not have even been the best rotation in that system with how good lake elsinore ended up being but um josh let's start with you with uh with birmingham yeah well um i want to talk about lake elsinore uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think that Lake Elsinore did end up end up being the most interesting, at least for for a while there. I I wrote about them for I think what was my my final Cal League notebook before I passed the Cal League notebook on to other people um, because. Pretty quickly out of the shoot, they ended up with like six, uh, six of the Padres' top thirty prospects were were pitchers on the Lake Elsinore staff. Um, Michelle Baez, Chris Paddock, who, uh, by the way, you can go and, and find Toolshed from uh, today, I think, from Wednesday, and and read about Chris Paddock and FIP. Um, uh, on that staff, also Pedro Avila, David Bednar, Reggie Lawson, Adrian Morhone. It didn't. It didn't stick together, obviously, because that's the way the minors work. Um, and not everybody stayed as hot as they started out the year. But for like April and May, that staff was just incredible. That was a really special thing going on for for a couple months there. Yeah, Gwinnett and, uh, picks. you too. Yeah, so with Gwinnett, I, if I were to look back when I was thinking about like who would I pick for my rotation 
selection now. And yeah, part of me wants to pick somebody in the Padres system because I think the Padres do have the most loaded system now. Uh, we've talked about the Braves for years, but with the way they've graduated prospects recently, I think the Padres have probably taken it or overtaken the Braves as the strongest system in the game. That said, when it comes to rotation, uh, part of me wants to say yes, I think Gwinnett was the best rotation or most interesting rotation from a prospect standpoint. But if it's going to be rivaled by anybody, it was rivaled by Mississippi, and they were so fluid this year. The Braves, the way they treated Ronald Acuna last year, getting very aggressive with him, pushing him up quickly. They did that with almost all of their pitchers this year. Uh, you know, Beginning of the year, we said Gwinnett because Mike Soroka was going to be there, because Colby Allard was going to be there, because Luis Gohara, uh, Max Freed, we thought would eventually get there. He started out at double-A Mississippi, but that was just kind of a brief spot start. Um, but Gohara didn't feature too much there. Freed went up and down between Atlanta and Gwinnett, it felt like, all year. Uh, Soroka moved up, I think, in May, you know, very quickly uh, made his major league debut and then ended up dealing with a lot of shoulder issues this year, didn't make many starts, still technically a prospect. Uh, but <clears throat> by the middle of the season, I was almost paying more attention to that Mississippi rotation with Kyle Wright, you know, was there. Tuki Dusant had a breakout season, I feel like. Uh, Ian Anderson eventually pitched for double-A Mississippi. Uh, you know, Bryce Wilson may have been the breakout pitcher in that system, starting out at Class A Advanced Florida, moving all the way up to the majors uh, by, you know, August. Uh, but most of his season came at Double A Mississippi, where he made 15 starts. Uh, you know, all of these guys also pitched to Gwinnett, and Gwinnett was that last stepping stone to Atlanta, uh, you know, for all of these guys to make the majors. I think Tuki Zusant's basically working his way into an NLDS start at this point. Uh, can Kyle Wright, can Bryce Wilson, can Colby Allard find a way into that bullpen? We'll still have to see, even though there's only a couple games left in the season. Um, but to, to say that it was just Gwinnett or just Mississippi with the way guys were constantly flowing between those two stops, uh, even as far down as Class A advanced Florida, uh, it's really tough to pick. So I'll, I'll just say, I'll say Gwinnett was good. We certainly followed them a lot, uh, but don't overlook what Mississippi did to provide Gwinnett with good starters throughout the season. Yeah, I actually had a similar thought. I mean, I obviously picked Gwinnett too, and all those names that Sam said did well. Um, but when I looked back, I was thinking more about Erie and all the names I was thinking about with Erie, like uh, Burroughs and Baez and Turnbill and Fajardo and Funkhauser. Then I realized that a lot of those guys were with Lakeland uh, part of the year, half of the year, the beginning, plus like Matt Manning and Casey Mize got a little taste of the Florida State League. So I kind of see a similar thing of like where you just have such a good strong pitching uh, organization and it's just kind of bouncing between these two levels of guys are just coming up and uh, it's right it's their time to shine in high a and double a yeah it's pretty amazing um watching the amount of prospects in both of those systems like it kind of feels at times like oh we're gonna see a not too distant future Padres Braves National League Championship Series because those two systems are I mean the the Braves system I guess you could say is less loaded now just because it's graduated so many guys and the Padres are maybe just a step behind that in terms of the the ETAs for those prospects but um it's pretty incredible um 
Lake Elsinore stole the show the show in that uh, that San Diego system, um, but that doesn't mean that there weren't still some pretty impressive performances um, in that San Antonio uh, rotation to start the year and even throughout the season. But Jacob Nix ends up moving on to AAA. Jacob Nix, um, who we talked about, he's had such a, a strange and interesting road in his professional baseball life, and um, I think has finally put himself now on the map as a guy who was getting set to knock on the door to the major leagues, but put up a 2.05 ERA and nine starts there. Uh, but there are a few guys who were somewhat disappointing. I mean, Colin Ray only made six starts there, uh, but really did not throw very well. Cal Quantrill really didn't throw that well this season. He had an ERA of 5.15 and 22 starts. Um, but Logan Allen was fantastic. Logan Allen had an ERA under three. Um, so it's right now, if you're a fan of the Braves or the Padres, you're pretty well set as far as pitching goes. Like, I don't think you have to worry about the fact that we're talking about maybe the four most interesting rotations being split across two organizations in the minor leagues is uh, is pretty impressive stuff. So be excited if you're a fan of one of those two organizations. Um, best overall team. One of these teams has just had an affiliation change. The Chattanooga Lookouts, no longer the AA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins, but they were Josh's pick before the 2018 season started. Um, Nick Gordon, Steven Gonsalves were both back there to start the year. Uh, Sam picked the AAA Durham. Bulls, who had uh, another run to a Governor's Cup title, as Josh mentioned a moment ago. Kelsey took Scranton Wilkesboro. The Rail Riders had uh, a lot of really good talent. The top level guys getting set to graduate from the Yankees organization. Um, I took Fresno because Fresno seems to just have a team full of guys who are too good to be in the minor leagues but can't crack the major league roster because they're in the reigning world champions uh, organization. Well, formerly. Now they're no longer in that same affiliation. We'll talk about affiliation changes another time. Um, We'll start with Josh. Uh, Chattanooga Josh, who started with some guys who were back at that level. How do you look at Chattanooga and who do you think the best overall team ended up being yeah I think that um I didn't pick them necessarily as best overall team but as most interesting because of that dynamic you mentioned um with 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 guys returning who seemingly had played their way out of that level um those those assignments kind of shocked me that that Nick Gordon would uh play 122 games in double a last year and post a 341 obp and um you know hit i think almost 29 doubles yeah like that he'd do that performance and then start the year again at double a and the same really for um for steven gonzalez uh he he pitched well um at 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 Double A last year, he struggled in, in a late season Triple A um, stint. But uh, mostly, that's what I found interesting was that they were back there to to start the year. Of course, Gonsalves was there for four starts, um, and he was dominant. He struck out twenty five and twenty in a third innings, and then got pushed up to. Uh, to Rochester and um, Nick Gordon, they, I mean, they kept him there for, yeah, 42 games. They kept him there for, for a while and he was hitting, uh, he hit pretty well. He hit 333 and, um, yeah, same, same sort of number of doubles, more, greater power than, than last year. Um, so, uh, I don't, yeah, I won't go on and on, but that's, that, that was interesting to me. Um, 
and best overall, I, I already sort of mentioned, uh, if, if we read it as best category, then for sure New Hampshire. Yeah, and for, for my pick, um, you know, I said Durham, and, and I, you know, obviously, like Josh said, for lineup, um, this is a team that worked well. Uh, you know, Willie Adamas graduates, Jake Bowers graduates. Um, you know, they Brandon Lau did really well there. Nate Lowe eventually made his way up to the majors, or Nate Lowe eventually made his way up to AAA Durham, really helped them during their postseason push. Um, you know, an interesting team, but in terms of, most interesting for the season now that we can look back. Um, I really like this Fresno team. So credit to you, Tyler, for making that pick. Uh, Write down the date and time of me saying that, of course. But uh, yeah. I looked at the time. (laughs) (laughs) We're all in different time zones. So we're all different times. None of your stories are corroborated. Um, But I feel like Fresno was just a team we constantly talked about during the season. at one point, it was kind of like the island of misfit toys in that Astros roster was so loaded, obviously, coming off a of World Series that, you know, A.J. Reed still couldn't find time in Houston. Uh, J.D. Davis spent most of the year in Fresno, uh, ended up hitting 342 there over 333 at-bats. That's insane. Uh, Kyle Tucker cemented his place as the top prospect in that system, maybe the top left-handed hitting prospect in baseball, uh, you know, by hitting 332 with a 989 OPS, uh, he was part of the 2020 club as well. 24 homers, 20 steals. Uh, you know, Miles Straw ended up leading all of minor league baseball in stolen bases. 35 of those came in Fresno over just 66 games. Uh, you know, I mentioned JD Davis, Tyler White got significant time there. Derek Fisher got significant time. Tony Kemp there was there for 38 games. This lineup was just packed with guys, all of who whom I wouldn't call quad A players because they are good enough to be major leaguers. It's just, you know, from April to August, it's a 25 man roster. You can't find a way in. Tony Kemp eventually did that. JD Davis got his chances. Uh, Tyler White did the same thing. I think, you know, by the second half, he was pretty much solidified into that Houston roster. Um, But, you know, Kyle Tucker, we all expected to be a starting outfielder for the Astros by the end of the year. He got some brief tastes, uh, but didn't quite do it, and they sent him back down to just smash a triple-A, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, but what makes this most interesting as a team aspect uh, is not just those guys, but one of the most interesting pitchers of the year for me was Josh James, um, a, a guy coming into the year who you know, showed some impressive stuff last year at double-A Corpus Christi. Uh, he credits figuring out sleep apnea and overcoming that with some increased results uh, but it really kicked in this year. He po- posted a 3.40 ERA and 17 starts with Fresno. Uh, that might not sound overly impressive, but here's what did really impress me. He struck out 133 batters in 92 and two-thirds innings there. Um, really discovered his stuff. Again, another guy who got starts here in September. They called him up. They realized the talent they had in him. Uh, he's one of the breakout pitchers of the year for me. And you add him to that mix of that lineup that, you know, one through nine was just strong with guys who, you know, either had major league experience or should have at least been getting uh, some sort of major league at bats this year. Uh, And I feel like, you know, from beginning, Dan, we were talking about Fresno in one way or another. So they were my most interesting team. Uh, I don't regret picking Durham. I I feel like that worked out well. Uh, Even after they lost Adamas and Bowers, they were still strong, obviously, throughout the year. All credit to Jared Sandberg for a a team that, Kelsey, you know, at the AAA Mm -hmm. AAA National Championship was very fluid. 
Um, but in terms of a team that I, I thought was very interesting on both sides, I think it, that goes to the Fresno Grizzlies. Yeah, definitely. I think Fresno was pretty exciting. Every uh, box they had was filled with crazy stats, usually in the, the lineup, but also in the pitching line. Um, so I originally picked Scranton. I knew that the Yankees were going to take a lot from them, and they were going to have to deal with that. Um, they had Glaber and Clint Frazier coming back from injuries. We weren't sure how long they were going to be with Scranton before going up, or unfortunately not for Frazier. Uh, I knew they would have Chance Adams and Justice Sheffield eventually, and Miguel Andujar. And I, I think they did decent, but I decided to go a little different with my most interesting team this year. Um, for those who are familiar with MLB.com, we have four milestone categories, which are uh, no-hitter, three-homer game, cycle, and triple play. And there were 57 teams who recorded at least one of those, um, but only one team collected four total, and that was Mobile. Uh, they had two no-hitters, both started by Griffin Canning and ended with Ryan Clark, though there were a couple different relievers in the middle. Uh, Jose Rojas hit for the cycle, and then they had a triple play. And I don't know if you can get that many like exciting games and milestones like that brings in the fans. That makes it more fun. So yes, obviously, all these other teams like Fresno and Durham and New Hampshire have these great lineups and great rotations. But in terms of interesting, I thought I decided to look at the Bay Bears. I'm just gonna ride. Josh or uh, Sam rather saying that I had the right pick just gonna ride that off into the sunset um we're gonna talk breakout prospects which is always a difficult thing to uh to pin down early on um prior to the start of a season because um as you'll hear on our next conversation rookie of the year um so many things can happen so early on guys can get injured guys can end up you know just really bottoming out out of the gate and ending up in a uh demotion sort of situation but um here were the uh the picks from all four of us for the 2018 season. Josh picked a pair. Um, Luis Robert in the Chicago White Sox organization. Gavin Lux in the uh, in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. Christian Pache for Sam in the Atlanta Braves system, um, who also, Sam evidently noted that he would be a top 50 prospect. Pache is now number 55, so nice work, Sam. Getting close to that one. Brandon Marsh as well. Kelsey picked Jordan Romano. I picked Luis Alexander Basabe and Colton Welker. Um, Josh, your uh, your thoughts on your two? Um, well, hold the phone on, on Luis Robert, because I still think big things are to come in the AFL for him. Um, so he's not quite done yet. It's, it's taking a little longer for him to be, uh, the guy on, on the tip of everybody's tongue, um, the way I predicted, but, uh, it could still happen. Um, and I got no regrets about, about saying Gavin Lux would be a breakout guy. He's... Maybe he has not broken out to the extent that um, fans all across baseball are talking about him, but I think certainly Dodger fans learned a lot about him this summer and and started getting really excited about having him in the system this summer. Um, So hooray for me. I'm the greatest person in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Said with incredible enthusiasm, Josh. Well, so for me, um, as Tyler mentioned, Christian Pache, uh, you know, coming into the year, somebody who didn't show any power, um, ran into a couple of home runs this year between Class A Advanced Florida and AA Mississippi. I think once he started to show that, everybody really started to get on board. Uh, everybody's still incredibly on board his defense. Uh, so the fact that he's starting to show a little bit of 
offensive as well in the middle minors. That's how he's going to start ending up, you know, as a uh, mid top 100 prospect. Wouldn't be surprised if he goes up even more when lists get updated this offseason. Uh, that being said, is he Ronald Acuna 2.0? Not by any means yet. He's not showing the same offense potential. Not that we expect him to. Uh, but, you know, when you have, you know, potentially a superstar in the outfield, you see him have a trajectory. You think, okay, who could follow this guy next? Pache seems like he could have been that guy. Um, but the offense never really has been his forte. It's still fairly strong uh, coming in this year, like I said, of Florida and Mississippi. Uh, so no reason to back off that. Was he the pro- big uh, prospect of the year? Not quite. I'll get to that pick in a second. Uh, Brandon Marsh, uh, really strong season in the, the Angels system. Um, him, Joe Adele, uh, you know, they seem to really like playing together starting the year at Burlington. And, and one of the stories for the, of the first half for us was how aggressive the Angels were getting and pushing their prospects. And Marsh kind of slipped right in there. Uh, again, showed you know that he can be toolsy uh, over a full year. This is a, somebody who you know was a, a big pick two years ago. Um, showed it in spurts last year at, at Orem, but this year, you know, playing at two full season affiliates kind of show off all his tools. Hitting 10 home runs, 14 steals. Uh, hit tools not quite there yet. Hitting 266 at those levels, but this is a good foundation for him. He's worked his way into the top 100, and, and that's the type of breakout you want to see from somebody who has a chance to be above average in all five tools. Uh, but my pick for breakout prospect of the year is Wander Franco, uh, the one in the Ray system, in case anybody's getting confused with their Wander Francos. <laughs> there are three. There are three. And they're all brothers. And they're all, yeah. Um, this guy, the, the Ray signed uh, last year, July 2nd, right, you know, right when the 2017-2018 international signing pool opened. They liked him enough to just skip him over uh, the Dominican Summer League completely, send him to rookie-level Princeton this year, let him get a stateside debut at 17 years old, which is really nuts. Uh, and not only that, you know, did he just dip his toe in the water of what it's like to get off a complex. Uh, he was the best hitter in the Appalachian League this year, uh, hitting 351 with a 1.004 OPS, 11 homers, four steals, uh, 28 total extra base hits in 61 games. Switch hitter hitting from both sides seems to be a solid shortstop. Um, to to be in a new you know country, we talk with people all the time about what that ask, what that change is like culturally, uh, what you have to do to get used to a new league, what you have to get to used to a new language, all that kind of stuff. He handled all of that incredibly well. Uh, you know, we thought he would, he could be talented, but we thought this would take two or three years uh, for him to start putting up these numbers. And he's hit the ground incredibly well. Um, you know, he's somebody who we're talking about now as maybe the next, you know, Vlad, the next Acuna, the next Soto, that type of thing. How quickly can he make it to the majors? Can he make it before he turns 20? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, somebody who we weren't even talking about for this list because we did not necessarily expect him to start the year in a stateside league, regard, never mind skipping over the GCL as well. Um, and he's really put himself on the map. Would not be su- surprised next year if we're talking about him as the number one overall prospect in the game. 
Yeah, Wander Franco was crazy this year. He's hit 351. I feel like we were talking about him every night. Um, again, he is one of three Wander Francos. Uh, I believe he's the only ranked Wander Franco. The, his yes. two brothers are both in the Giants system, one with San Jose, one uh, short Same. season. Yeah, yeah. Same Kaiser, I think. Um, yeah, so he is a good pick. I had picked uh, George Romano of the Blue Jays. I was really trying to go for it. Um, and... Yeah, he didn't necessarily break out as much as I was hoping. He had an ERA north of four, uh, but he did get nine straight wins at one point. Again, I know wins aren't the biggest stat in, in minors, especially, or all of baseball, But um, and he had Bo and Vlad helping him out getting those wins. And But he did do well. He did give what his team needed, um, and I think he even had six hitless innings at one point. So not the best pick, but he could have done worse. Uh, my pick, though, is Alex Kirilov. I know he's a first-round pick, and it's like, how can he break out if he already has high expectations? But he missed all of last season with Tommy John. Uh, and this year, he just, every night, it felt like he was getting at least three hits. Uh, he ended up hitting 348 as he got bumped up to the pitcher-friendly Florida State League, which is not easy, but he still did it. Uh, he had Lewis in the lineup with him, who was also, you know, obviously getting a bunch of attention. Uh, but... I don't know. All year long, I was. I just felt like, you know, if we weren't talking about Vlad, we were talking about Kirilov. Uh, for my two picks, um, Luis Alexander Basabe got a late start to his season. He had surgery to repair a torn meniscus, so he only played in 119 games, but um, had a, a pretty good um, year overall. I mean, not an, an eye-popping year, a 258 average um, with an 800 OPS, and saw time in the Carolina League. He saw time in the Southern League as well. Um, but a guy who I think the the ceiling is still really high, he's still figuring himself out as an offensive player. His defensive tools are his best graded tools, um, but offensively, I know the, the swing gets pretty long with him and there's still things that they're working on but to be able to hold your own in double a first turn through uh batting 250 with a, a you know a 61 game stretch there is pretty impressive um on the 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 rocky side colton welker wins a california league batting title um very good season i don't know if we'd necessarily call it a breakout season though just because it was sort of what you expected uh, but it wasn't necessarily as though colton welker went out and all of a sudden established himself as the top third base prospect in the game um a really really good season and uh and certainly nothing to be down on but the guy who i felt like we talked about with the exception of his final four outings this season, seemed like every single time he took the ball was Jesus Luzardo, um, who, again, a, a high pick as well. Wasn't a first-rounder, but he was a third-round pick uh, back in 2016 by the Nationals, traded uh, to the Oakland Athletics. And this season, I remember, I'll never forget this for the 2018 season, the back at the start of the year, we talked about him on the show as being one of those bizarrely challenging assignments out of opening day that he was going to go at 19 years old uh, or 20 years old, I'm sorry, to start the season at the uh, the Class A advanced level with the Stockton Ports in the California League. And he lasted three starts there and then was up to double A. And so it just felt like he was so far ahead of the curve of what we expected in 2018 uh, that Jesus Lazardo, even though he ran into some bumps and Kind of ran out of gas toward the end, put up a 7.31 ERA and four starts with AAA Nashville. 16 starts with AA Midland in the Texas League, 7-3 record, a 2.29 ERA, a 204 opponent's average, a 0.97 whip. He struck out 86 and walked just 18 and 78 and two-thirds. Um, so Jesus Luzardo, it felt like every single time he took the ball, I was texting either San Antonio or uh, Midland's manager or pitching coach or a catcher or Jesus himself to try to talk about what he had been doing to 
limit San Antonio or Frisco or some of these really good Texas league offenses. Um, because at 20 years old to be able to doing that and, and be doing that on a consistent basis in double a is uh, pretty impressive stuff he was number 60 in mlb.com's top 100 prospects heading into the season he's climbed to number 12 as we leave 2018 um rookies of the year uh, another similar um category in what we thought was going to happen for guys breaking out of the major league level um two of us picked a guy who didn't even see the major league level this year because he was injured and ended up seeing his season ended due to surgery early Josh and I each took Nick Senzel in the National League. Um, Senzel had a, a terrific start to the year but was done um, after undergoing surgery back in May, I believe. And so um, didn't get a chance to to show himself off at the major league level. It was a torn tendon in his right index fingers, actually in June uh, when that happened. And so uh, obviously we were wrong on that one. Um, but Josh had Francisco Mejia in the American League, who is now no longer in the American League. Um, Sam, I still think here. he's going to win it, though. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could very well be. You never know. Uh, yeah, I'm match. doubling down on that one. Joey <laughs> <laughs> Otani and Ronald Acuna. Way to go out on a limb, Sam. Um, and be right. And, and Lewis Brinson were Kelsey's picks. Um, I had Anthony I fell Alford. off the limb is what happened. <laughs> I had Anthony Alford in the American League to go along um, with uh, my National League pick of uh, of Nick Senzel. So um, let's start with uh, with Josh. We were both wrong on Nick Senzel. Francisco Mejia, though, an interesting year, even though he's not in the AL anymore. It's true. Uh, and not – yeah, I'll stick with my original comments. I'm doubling down. He's he's going to pull it out. He's going to win American the League Rookie American of the Year. League Rookie of the of the year. If okay. he doesn't, in the off chance he doesn't, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean – Oh, yeah, I'm not going to – I won't say Otani's name. Let's talk about Michael uh, – talk about Miguel Andujar. Um, just a fantastic offensive year. Uh, obviously really valuable to to that team. Um, I think he's a good pick. I like it. Sam, um, you know, it's like uh, saying you're going to pick, I don't know, um, Oscar winners out of, you know – uh, the Godfather and Citizen Kane. Oh, see if, who, uh, how, how impressed are you with yourself to have called Shohei Otani and Ronald Acuna? To call the number one and number two overall prospect coming into the year, <laughs> winning the respective rookie of the year. Um, no, I mean, I'm not, I'll take credit for it saying, like, yes, it happened, but um, I'm not going to take any originality points by any means. At least you guys listening back to that original preview episode, like, you guys got a little original, which, you know, is – what preview show should be. I mean, if we're all saying the same thing four times over, then what's the point of having the four of us? Um, but Otani... Somebody has to say the guys that nobody wants to say. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I'll go that far. But, um, yeah, Otani, it, it's kind of been interesting because, you know, we work here in the New York market, Kelsey and I do, and people got, you know, very infatuated by the seasons that Miguel and Duhar were having. Uh, Miguel and... Uh, Gleyber Torres were having and it seemed like it was a race between those two except Shohei Otani uh, yeah there was they did discover some elbow damage for him coming into the year they still let him pitch uh, they still let him get you know 10 starts in 51 and two-thirds innings and he was a pretty good starter over that time and then when he made the switch to full-time hitter uh, you know playing DH that's when the bombs continued to come he had 21 home runs this year uh, you know, so he was a serviceable starter 
and a very, very, very good hitter. Um, something you know the likes we have not seen in a while. You, you combine those two, and yeah, he may not have been playing every night. And yes, news broke this week that he he will be undergoing Tommy John surgery. What time he will be back in 2019? We're still waiting to see about that. Uh, he'll be back as a batter first, obviously, but um, you know when that will be, we'll, we'll still be watching. But uh, to see him do both roles this year and be elite in terms of stat cast data and in terms of you know exit velocity and how far he was hitting balls and how fast he was throwing the ball as well on the mound was really really neat to see uh and you know for somebody who came in with so much hype uh, uh to see him do it on two different sides was really cool i hope we see more of that obviously brendan mckay is trying to go through that right now in the race system um, had himself an interesting year not necessarily a breakout one but um you know did otani kind of pave the way for more two-way players uh we'll have to check in back on that in five years or so uh acuna the only question with him coming into the year was when were the braves going to finally bring him up uh, we knew it was probably going to be at some point in april that time came april 25th and he's been basically as advertised as well you know just a five-tool star for a team that surprised many by winning the nl east they've already clinched uh, obviously, they're they're going into the postseason earlier than most people expected. Uh, Acuna doing as well as he did this year, I think, allowed them to bring up you know Colby Al or Mike Soroka, uh, you know Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, all these names on the pitching side because listen, they were all in this year. Um, everybody was doing better than they expected, and you know just to lay out what he did this year as of Wednesday, uh, he's batting two eighty nine with a nine twenty three. OPS, 26 home runs, 15 stolen bases. Uh, again, you know, he's only 20 years old. He'll be 21 next year. Uh, the trajectory is only going up from here. Not that that matters too much in the Rookie of the Year award. Uh, but he has been neck and neck with Juan Soto, who none of us would have picked. If any of you would have picked Juan Soto, I would have slapped you down and cut off the podcast and said we're not doing that. I think pick I did. Else. <laughs> I think Tyler edited out the part where I said. Yeah, so, right. Actually, yes, that actually happened. Kelsey said it, and I forced true. her to cut it out. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, once Soto's time will come, and this is a conversation we'll be having for years and years and years and years. Who's a better outfielder, Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna? This year, I think Acuna did overall a better job. He's a better fielder. He's a better base runner than Soto. A slightly better hitter, maybe. Uh, but that doesn't discredit what Soto did at just age 19 and climbing to the majors. For a guy who started the year at Class A Hagerstown, which I will say until the end of my days and still not get over it. Uh, yeah, I, like I said, went on the limb and then fell off the limb because <laughs> I picked Chan Sisko and Lewis Brinson, as Tyler said. And, I mean, Chan Sisko, I picked him because in limited time last year with Baltimore, he did well. He hit 333 in 10 games, obviously, like I said, very limited. And so it's just like, well, that's sliver. Like, maybe that will help. Um, but, no, he didn't do as well as expected. He also didn't spend the whole year with Baltimore. He was with Norfolk for 38 games. Uh, and then Lewis Brinson, he battled some injury a little bit here and there, um, but also was disappointing for my pick. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say Otani. I mean, like Sam said, we're in New York. We see the excitement that Andy Har and Glaber bring to this playoff contending team, um, which matters to some people. Uh, but Otani, just, I've said on the podcast before, and I've said it in real life before, I don't get impressed very easily, but Otani impresses me. And 
like we just don't see this anymore. It's incredible. So he definitely deserves it. Um, and then all the things Sam said about Acuna, yes, uh, I will say about Soto. Again, starting the year in Class A and then now doing what he's doing in the majors. It might not be rookie of the year, but we need to get some type of award for him. I don't know. We need to invent like <laughs> Best teenager. fastest yeah. climber. I A don't teen's know. choice award, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Nickelodeon, get on this. Uh, he needs an award of some kind. One thing I just want to toss in about Soto, because I, I tweeted this out earlier, but it's still astonishing to me. Uh, Juan Soto finished the year with 14 homers in the Meyer Leagues. Uh, he's currently sitting on 21 in the majors, so he hit 35 home runs between the majors and the minors. Those 14 home runs were fourth amongst all Nationals minor leaguers for this year. He didn't play, crazy. play a minor league that's game after May 19th. What? Nuts. Yeah, that's nuts. Say, nuts. That's not necessarily about him. That's more about the rest of the system. So, but still, like yeah. he hit 14 homers by yeah. May 19th. Look, look at it that's the true. other way. It's yeah. insane. And this is not a power hitter necessarily. I mean, like not, not – somebody we thought of as a power hitter we thought of him as like a pure hit tool and maybe some power will come but he's hitting opposite field bombs almost since he got to the majors it's it's been really fun to see pretty impressive stuff um anthony alford did not have a good year in the toronto blue jays organization he was hampered by injury yet again which is something we unfortunately say too often about a friend of the show anthony alford who is actually i think still to this day the only prospect to join us from uh outside the country we got to talk to anthony alford when he was in mexico playing winter ball um but uh started the year this year at a grade two hamstring strain so he got started really late 105 games he played with triple a buffalo this year only batted 240 with a 656 ops um he did get limited major league time 12 games but didn't get a shot at the majors in september the blue jays wanted to keep him in uh a so he would be getting regular at bats in buffalo um not a great season for uh, for anthony alford and um he's certainly one of the guys that i think uh will be fun to watch if he can stay healthy and he's still only 24 years old but the the dynamic athletic ability that he has i mean this is a guy who played major division one college football was drafted at the same time as doing the two sport thing if he is able to stay healthy, I think he is still uh, a transcendent type of talent like that. We just haven't really seen it um, come together for more than really a season at a time in Anthony's career so far. Um, I agree. I think it's uh, it's Otani and Acuna in 2018. I don't think there's much more that I can say that uh, hasn't already been said, but um, those are two fun talents we're going to be watching for a long time. Um, our Bauman Home Run Award winner conversation. Uh, there was a winner that nobody talked about, which isn't entirely surprising. Um, but we had a wide range of, uh, of players who put together some really interesting seasons. I think it's safe to say, though, that Casey Golden, Josh Jackson's pick, was probably the biggest surprise and very nearly uh, snuck away with the Bowman Home Run Award. Bondell Isabel was the, the final uh, victor, correct? 36 home and, runs. And Peter Alonzo, they tied. And Peter Alonzo, that's right, matched on the, the last swing of day. the season, yep. lest we forget. That is right, that's right. Um, so it was a, a twofer, and we none of us picked Peter Alonzo and Sam and I were talking about this the other day before the season uh Peter Alonzo was coming off an injury it wasn't really part of the conversation of oh this kid is going to have this breakout massive campaign um and now you look back on it and it's like why didn't any of us pick Peter Alonzo but it was just a different conversation back in March and April um and he did join the show uh shortly after the start to his terrific season with double a Binghamton you can go back and find that episode as well but Josh you were on the Casey Golden train so early he finishes with 34 home runs um that so was just a couple shy of winning so close man I 
talked to him on the final weekend and told him one of our writers picked you for this back in April. Do you believe that you're in it? And he was like, no, not really. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember you telling us, you know, Casey Golden, it just seems like everything is stacked up well for him. He's in a hitter's ballpark, hit really well last season. Um, you got to be pretty proud of this one. This is a good one. Yeah, me and Casey Golden's mom, we believed, even when he didn't. <laughs> Wilmington, yeah. North Carolina's finest, Casey Golden. His, uh, I'm sure the fam is is very pumped to have uh, the Josh Jackson um, hype train behind him. I hope so. <laughs> That's it. That's all you're gonna say. You just you believe. Uh, you know what? What, what can he's I say? Good, um, he's such a good pick. Yeah, that's right. I'll let it speak for itself. <laughs> and right, Josh is um, right. He's just going to let it do, like yeah. let it sit and bask Sam's in that. Sam's pretty close as well. Sam had DJ Peters, who finished with 29 home runs. Also had Dylan Cousins, uh, 21 home runs for Dylan Cousins. Um, Sam, your two we'll discuss first. Well, um, so DJ Peters, I thought maybe was going to get called up to Oklahoma City, and I think being in the PCL would have helped. Uh, didn't quite get there. Still strikes out a, a ton, but you know, given his size, uh, is always going to run into a few balls. Uh, ends up with 29 homers. Uh, I think got closer in the end than I was expecting when I was kind of doing this Bauman watch as the season crept along. I thought Josh had run away with it with the Casey Golden pick, uh, but the fact that Peter Peter snuck in, getting close to 30 by the end, uh, surprised even me. Uh, Cousins, I threw in there because I thought it would have been cool to see. The, the Bowman Award go A.J. Reed, Dylan Cousins, A.J. Reed, Dylan Cousins. Uh, Cousins got a couple calls to, to Philly, um, but, you know, again, big bat and, turn, and big size, uh, but that means some big holes in his swing. He's going to strike out a bunch. Triple-A pitchers seem to have figured him out pretty well. Uh, he did When he did win that Bowman Award, it was during his time with Double-A Redding when he was also teammates with Reese Hoskins, if you remember that year. Uh, they were going back and forth to see who was going to win it. Cousins ended up uh, coming out on top, uh, but he he struggled to figure out upper level pitching so far, uh, whether it be the majors or uh, AAA. So, uh, you know, he finished with 21, respectable amount for the minor leagues, but not for the Bauman race. Uh, Peter Alonso, I thought could have a good year. I did a tool shed on him back. You know, last off season, and it was one of my most fun interviews. And then, you know, getting to see him put on that power and one of my more memorable home runs of the year uh, when he went deep in the futures game. And it was one of the highest home runs I've ever seen hit uh, the farthest he said he's ever seen hit. Uh, so that was really neat. Um, but to, to say that he was going to you know end up leading the entire minor leagues, uh, I, I was a bridge too far for me. Um, and, you know, obviously I felt fell a little bit short but you know to, to pick peters to pick somebody who got close to 30 i'm okay with that i mean peter um, Kelsey, oh go ahead i was just gonna say peter alonzo i'm sure lots of mets fans wish he did not win this award right yeah he, he got should have been there yeah. they say uh should have been called up a little earlier uh but yeah obviously he had a good year uh ivandale isabel he broke the uh daytona record for home runs which again it, it is a pitcher friendly league Florida state league record right yeah, he also Florida State League. You're right. Yeah, the whole league, uh, and that's why he was tied. Um, yeah, we don't need to go into my pick so much. Kelsey had kind of the bizarro pick of Josh's pick. Josh went sort of under the radar, and his dude, based on 2017 performance, blew up in 2018. Kelsey's based on 2017 performance. I think it's safe to call him now a very confounding prospect because Emmanuel Tapia turned into a ghost this year after hitting 29 homers last year. Yep. 
Yep. I so close. I I don't know what to say, Tyler. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's strange. Like uh, when you look at his numbers, it's it's yeah. fascinating because it rookie ball, a terrific hitter, uh, 315, 405, 488, the the slash line. The next year, Mahoning Valley, 286, 350, 413. Following year, back of Mahoning Valley, 251, 321, 400. Last year, Lake County. 213, 271, 445. This year, Lynchburg, 186, 284, 316. It's like he's regressing in everything, but he hit 29 homers last year after having never hit more than six. And then this year, he was back down to nine. It would be fascinating to see what exactly I mean if you're a scout who was watching him it'd be really interesting to see what it was from 2016 to 2017 to this year with him. Yeah. You know what it was? It was the Hennigan cursed. Uh, i can't confirm or deny that but or one of you guys uh, tempered with it tampered with him uh yeah but i'd be wrong we slid money under the table to tell him to stop Um, hitting dingers to upset our friend i will say my all-star break pick also not a winner but i would like to talk to him or talk about him that's suli matias uh for lexington the royals number three prospect he fell off the top five because he ended up going on the dl on august 15th but most of this i feel like most of the season he was the leader if not for two straight months um he isn't known for his power he's known for his arm i mean he has a 60 grade power so it's still pretty good uh but Again, I think he had a pretty exciting season, and it is unfortunate that it got cut short from that injury. And I think, I mean, yes, he does strike out a lot, as many power hitters does. He kind of takes it a little further with that, with, I think, 131 strikeouts in 338 at-bats. So he definitely needs to cut that down. But I think that he's on a good trajectory, although he could do what Tapia did and not do well next year. But I think that if he has a full, healthy year next year uh, with Wilmington, he should put up some good numbers. Um, I had Aloy Jimenez, who finished with 22 homers between two levels. Um, similar situation to a couple of guys. He got started late. This year only ended up playing in 108 games. Um, and I picked A.J. Reed, which probably a good thing for A.J. Reed that he didn't win his third Bowman home run award in four seasons because that means you're just sitting around in AAA. But he did hit 28 home runs, so A.J. Reed continues uh, to just crush AAA pitching. And, again, we talk so often about it, but that's how good the Astros are that they can afford to have a hitter like A.J. Reed not at the major league level because everybody at the major league level is so good as well. Um, but congratulations to uh, the new Florida State League home run king uh, in all-time league history and Abondel Isabel of the Daytona Tortugas. And... That brings us to our final category, our top overall prospect going into 2019. Um, Last year, we had a a contentious discussion about this coming out of 2017 going into 2018. This year, here were the picks. Royce Lewis for Josh, uh, a terrific selection, a guy with a whole lot of helium this year and climbed up the the leaderboard uh, in MLB Pipeline's rankings. Um, Sam and Kelsey each win Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I went Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, Josh, we'll start off with you talking about Royce Lewis. Yeah, I, I like that pick still. I, um, yeah, I. This was the pick where um, I wanted to not pick uh, Vlad or Fernando, yeah. um, or or Eloy, kind of. Um, but yeah, he had a good season. He had he had maybe as good a season as I kind of hoped he would have. Um, he definitely established himself as i mean i think he established himself as a uh top 10 prospect anyway um 
also I was doing some calculus there about about maybe some graduations that didn't didn't really happen. Um, I guess like Senzel among them, and uh, yeah, I I feel good about 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 Royce Lewis. He won't be number one on opening day next year, but uh, I I'm not ashamed. Don't try to shame me. <laughs> I mean, the guy who will be is going to be Vlad, um, and that was uh, Sam McKelsey's pick. And um, Vlad, I think I, I think my point in not picking Vlad was I didn't think he was going to be in the minor leagues um, at the end of 2018. Obviously, the injury threw off his schedule. But, I mean, this was a generational season that we saw from Vlad. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's not much really any of us can add to, to any of this uh, except for it the kind of disappointment we do have that he is still a prospect going into next year because, you know, I was, I was talking to Kelsey the other day. We'll probably be able to put something together already about like, like we did kind of with Acuna this year of, uh, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is called up because we know it's coming. We know it's coming the end of August or like the end of August. God, I hope not. Uh, the end of April, uh, basically the same thing with Eloy Jimenez, uh, these are guys we expect to be in the majors very quickly. Um, but you know, how, when's the next time we're going to see a 381 average over a full season? Yes. He missed a little bit of time with a knee injury. Uh, but when are we going to see that again? I don't know. I, I can't pick another guy among, amongst these top 100 who could do 381 for a month, you know, who I would feel confident in picking would hit 381 for a month. Uh, Vlad did it over 95 games. That's just crazy. And, you know, he took another jump with his power this year. Uh, you look at his size, a lot of people thought, oh, he's going to hit for power eventually. Uh, but, you know, he hit 20 home runs this year. And I am still infatuated by this. He he walked 37 times. He struck out only 38. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, we talk about his dad in terms of his dad would swing all over the place. His dad would swing at balls at his eyes. He would swing at balls in his shoelaces. He would swing at balls five feet out in front of the plate and still manage to get a hit. Vlad is much more controlled with his strike zone. Uh, his anti coordination is almost second to none. Uh, he knows what's a ball, what's a strike. He's aggressive when it's a strike. When he knows it's a ball, he can pummel. Uh, obviously, that's what you need when you get into averages above 350. Um, but, you know, to do this at, at this young age is really, really impressive. Uh, it's a shame that we didn't get to see him play Major League Baseball in September. He certainly earned the look. Uh, Eloy Jimenez did the same thing. And, you know, it, it, it is kind of a shame to be right in this way, to see him do everything we could have hoped uh, and and to see him not get enough at-bats to, you know, any at-bats in the major leagues, but not to get those, what, 130 that he would have needed to graduate prospect him. Because I don't know what else we're going to say about him this offseason. There, there's little else we can break down his numbers and say, like, see, he was really good in this way when we did it from beginning to end this year. Yeah, every, uh, every word about Vlad has been written every photo <laughs> Vlad Jr. good um yes he will still be the number one prospect on opening day I know that pipeline does do a little bit of shuffling from the end of the season to the beginning of the next season so I could see Eloy uh jumping over Tatis just because Tatis injury sometimes they hold that back and Eloy has gained a lot of momentum while Tatis was on the DL uh, so I could see that little bit of movement as we as opening day approaches but yeah, yeah, there's nothing else to be said about Vlad. I mean, and I, yeah, well, be, we should say this. Shocking if he was not the number one. Yeah, okay. he is playing in the Arizona Fall League, which True. is and yes, we, we will be writing ex- more words about him. Right, and, and there is more to come, and that's great for 
us, we yes. still get to write about Vlad in terms of actual results and not just yeah. looking back at, at what happened during the regular season. Um, that being said, the fact that he is still playing games, freak things could happen. Not wishing that on anybody. Wow. We're not, yeah, we're not. I'm normally that. the one who thinks of the injuries, but Sam this time. Well, I'm just saying that, like, there, you know, there something could happen in the fall league that Be that a nice would make prospect. There, shame if something happened to him. No, I. I <laughs> what if he didn't get a hit in the AFL? <laughs> that's a great. That's a game we should Talk play. About yeah, how things, bad does his AFL have to be? Yeah. How, uh, he struck out in every at bat and made four <laughs> errors every game. Right. A lot more strikeouts, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would take something crazy in the fall league, but uh, you know, we, we're not done talking about Vlad just because we said like, yeah, there's so much we've already said, um, there will be more Vlad at bats, which I think is great for all of us. I just wish they would have come in the majors. It's fun watching Vlad on MLB.TV or MLB.TV. And you can do that. Um, you can catch some AFL games, by the way, on uh, on MLB.com and on uh, MLB Network as the offseason gets rolling along as well, following the Major League postseason. Um, my pick of Fernando Tatis Jr. was twofold. One, like Josh, I didn't want to pick Vlad. I um, wanted to reach a little bit more than that. But two, I've been on the Fernando Tatis Jr. bandwagon for quite some time. Started off the season as a preseason number eight. Um, what was kind of funny was the beginning of the year, it was like, oh man, I'm not sure Fernando Tatis Jr. really has a handle on double A. Went into the season, 19 years old, really struggled in April, 177, 231, 333. And then in May, he hit 336, 414, 639. June, 330, 413, 527. July, he only played 11 games, ended the season uh, with a fractured left thumb that he suffered during that month. But um, Tatis is fantastic. It's, I mean, the rich getting richer. The Padres have a full 10th of the top 100 prospects in baseball. He's the best among them. And uh, a guy who will go into 2018 is, or 2019 rather, is kind of the de facto number one, I guess, assuming that Vlad is going to be around for a while, uh, which is just my way of claiming a co-victory in this category. <laughs> you finagle it however you need to. <laughs> but it is somewhat similar to what we had last year where coming into this season, Shohei Otani was the guy who was number one. You thought, well, yeah, kind of. I mean, Vlad didn't have, you know, didn't play at a major league level in another country, but Vlad is as major league ready as we'll see a number one more than likely going into next year. Right. And the only thing that could potentially that like is Otani-esque because uh, we were, we didn't necessarily talk about it in terms of Otani signing last year, but at least you could see it on the horizon. Uh, is there anybody like that coming next year? I mean, there's no two-way player, certainly. Um, but Victor Victor Mesa is going to be signing out of Cuba uh, probably before the 2019 season. I think he just got cleared. Is he number one overall prospect type? No. Uh, I would not say he's immediately going to leapfrog Vlad because he's able to throw you know 95 plus and also hit 20 bombs uh, in the way Otani was. So uh, can we expect something like that? No, but I, you know it's the minor leagues always expect the unexpected, I guess. So that's a look back at our 2018 season predictions. I think we did okay. I'm willing to give us a grade of okay. Okay. Is that isn't that below okay. an F? It's a fine grade. No, an F is failing. Okay well, is like a C. Oh, and K are below F, so I'm concerned. Aw. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that such deserves. Such a Sam <laughs> joke. <laughs> Such a groaning dad joke. Uh, Kelsey Hennigan, Josh Jackson, the, Samuel Dykes, reminded of Tyler Vaughn. Thank you, everyone. What, What? Josh? What? I was just going to point out that the joy of, of 
jokes like that when Sam makes them is that uh, Tyler's reaction makes me laugh harder than Sam's oh, <laughs> The attention has been diverted to Tyler. I'm glad. I'm glad I could uh, could bring some laughter into uh, an otherwise terrible joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Um, bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Well, beyond our 2018 review uh, with Kelsey and Josh, we also have a guest this week uh, who is Tigers relief pitcher prospect, Clayt Schmidt. Uh, I wanted to bring him on the podcast, as you'll hear during our interview, uh, because he's got one of the more interesting stories in baseball, uh, one of the more, more unfortunate ones, but also one of the more inspiring ones. Uh, this week, Dan Hasty, the West Michigan broadcaster, the Class A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers, uh, has been doing something really cool. He's been tweeting out some memories about uh, pitchers and players who played for the Whitecaps this season. And one that caught my eye was this one from September 24th. Uh, quote, when it's bigger than baseball, in July of 2015, Tigers farmhand Clay Schmidt was diagnosed with nodular Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer, beating it with three months of chemotherapy. He went 9-2 and two for the West Michigan Whitecaps in 2018 with a 2.59 ERA. Uh, you'll hear me quote that tweet to Clay Schmidt later, um, but I wanted to bring him on the podcast, get him talking about you know what this season was like for him, what was a successful season uh, for him, his most successful minor league season yet, uh, what the recovery process is like from cancer, uh, and also his brother is a Yankees farmhand in Clark Schmidt. Uh, so just what is it like to be in the, the Schmidt family uh, right now? So here's my interview coming up right now with Tigers farmhand, Clayt Schmidt. This week on the Show Before the Show podcast, the Minor League Baseball podcast, we're joined by Tigers pitching prospect Clay Schmidt, uh, 20th round pick at, out of Clemson in 2016. Just finished up his season with Class A West Michigan and Class A Advanced Lakeland. Uh, Clay, thanks so much for joining us. How's the offseason treating you so far? Uh, it's awesome. And uh, thanks for having me as well. But uh, it, like I said, it's been great being able to uh, come back, hang out with the family, and relax a little bit and just about to get it started back up uh hitting the weights here very soon yeah so kind of take us through that how quickly were you able to get home um you know home for you is georgia i would think um but yep. how quickly after the season did you get back and what are these first few weeks like for a minor league pitcher uh coming off a season in which you threw 80 innings uh which is a career high for you yeah uh I got home probably a day after the season ended. We we had our flights and uh, we got out. And I do live in uh, northern part of uh, Georgia, so right around the Atlanta metro area. So, um, but for the first couple of weeks, throwing as much as I did, uh, kind of took about two weeks off and and of not really doing anything. And about the only thing I have been doing is, is trying to find a job and, and, and giving lessons and stuff like that just to be able to uh, to make some money on the side. And so I pretty much will give lessons, relax, and then kind of just let the body recuperate and, and try and uh, focus on a lot of stretching and core work just to kind of revamp the body and, and allow it to heal a little bit quicker and get the blood flowing. But uh, other than that, just been uh, hanging out and just relaxing for a little bit. 
Very cool. Well, before we get into one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today, take me through your season. I mean, like I said, this was 80 innings for you in 2017. Uh, you threw 34, so you're adding, uh, you know, 45 plus innings onto, you know, your resume this year. Splitting it at, at the at two full season levels between Western Michigan and, and Lakeland. Uh, now that you're a little bit removed from it, how would you kind of characterize this 2018 season for you? Uh. I mean, it was, I mean, it, I thought it was a very good year. Uh, I was very fortunate enough to be able to come into some big situations and be relied upon. And because and, uh, I spent most of the season in low A with West Michigan, and I had been there at the end of last season. And so I kind of knew the, the, how everything worked and, and the coaching staff. And, and of course, with Jorge Cordova, who was our pitching coach and who is, uh, who's really helped me progress as a pitcher, especially coming out of the relief role. Um, but being able to go back there and kind of just hit the ground running this year and be able to produce uh, for the team in any way that I could possible, whether that be was uh, spot starts, long relief, uh, setup guy, or even the closer role. I just tried to uh, embrace any role that was thrown at me and, and try to produce for the team to get us as far as we could. And, and and I was very fortunate and blessed to uh, be able to produce for the team this year. Yeah, and this is a very cool story because Dan Hasey, <clears throat> the West Michigan broadcaster, is doing this really cool thing so far this offseason about sharing stories about several of your Whitecaps teammates and, and yourself included. Uh, the other day he tweeted, when it's bigger than baseball, in July of 2015, Tigers farmhand Clay Schmidt was diagnosed with nodular Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer, beating it with three months of chemotherapy. He went 9-2 and two for the Whitecaps in 2018 with a 2.59 ERA. Lots of things happened in between there, obviously, between 2015 and 2018 for you. But to see those things next to each other really touched me. And kind of take us through your road these last three years. I mean, you get diagnosed 2015, uh, you know, with a form of cancer. Three years later, here you are. You were a 20th round pick in 2016. Uh, when you kind of sit back and think about what these last three years have been like, what do you kind of think of? Oh, it's been the best way to describe it is a legit roller coaster. It's been an incredible uh, mix of emotions to be able to go from really fighting for your life to trying to get back to the sport that you love to being drafted and, and realizing a dream and, and a, the accomplishment of that dream. And now to the point of trying to make a name for myself and be able to produce for the Tigers organization and try and, and, and move forward uh, even more so closer to the ultimate goal of making, making it to the big show. And um, it's just been, it's been a blessing and, and something that I would never take for granted just because it has given me a whole new appreciation for life and understanding the and appreciating the little things that come with life and and uh, just taking each day a step at a time and um, being able to really to thank God and, and my family and friends and teammates for being able to help me get to the where I am today. Yeah, when you talk about those little things, I mean, what what is something you do now on the mound or, you know, just in terms of pitching preparation or just overall enjoyment of the game? Uh, just a small thing that, that you harp on more now, given what you went through in 2015, than you did, you know, as a high schooler or in that first year at Clemson. Mm -hmm. So I was a really big proponent of uh, high energy, 
uh, high high velocity, especially in my in my younger career when I was in high school and stuff, and and coming full circle now to become and really I was just a thrower then I wasn't really a pitcher and and now I have especially with going through my treatments you have to be very patient with your treatments and, and understanding you might not feel well that day uh, but the next day you can and take it just try and take a step by step and and try and go do just a simple exercise maybe and really now as a pitcher and and going through what I've gone through you have the ability to have that patience with yourself as a pitcher and, and be able to decipher when you should go full bore and when you should tone it down and be able to uh, pick and choose those times and, and understand that it's all a process and it's part of the game and you're going to have uh, failures and you're going to have the highs and the lows that everybody talks about. And you really have to be able to take um, each, each of those moments with a grain of salt and be able to, uh, move on and go to the next game, especially as a reliever, happen to be able to pitch day to day. Yeah, and that's one. That's the mental side. Um, from a physical standpoint, I read this story from Bleacher Report that came out years ago. You got to meet John Lester, his own, you know, mm-hmm. a cancer survivor himself, and one of the things he told you was, you know, you have to be prepared for your body changing physically. Uh, as, yep. a, as a baseball reporter, I talked to so many guys who have been through Tommy John surgery or shoulder surgeries or knee surgeries, things like that, and coming back from that. Coming back from cancer is its own monster, obviously, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was just the rehab process in terms of getting your strength back and being able to throw again after going through three months of chemo? Oh, it really was unlike anything that I've ever experienced before or has met anyone uh, in the baseball field that's experienced before. Cause it was even to the point I had left my last radiation treatment. So I had four rounds of chemotherapy or four treatments. And then I had 17 treatments of radiation. And on my last day of radiation, I literally had my truck packed left from the hospital, went to Clemson and I tried to practice with the guys and me not being the brightest light. I thought that it'd be okay for me to try and do sprints and, and work out with everybody. And it was, I literally got to maybe 10 steps and I couldn't even, I couldn't even continue to run. And so it's, it, it, it's literally the ground floor of, you really feel like a baby. Like you can't, you can't run. You can't, you gotta be very careful. Walking, throwing is like, it's so exhausting and stuff. So it really was breaking everything down and then trying to rebuild it. And so it, w- it really was a rehabilitation process, just like you would come back from surgery or uh, from shoulder surgery or Tommy John. And it was very, it's, it's a very long and hard road to come back from. It's, it's just filled with a bunch of why can't my body do this when my mind feels like I can be able to do it type stuff. And that's why I, when I say the patient comes in, that's a huge aspect of it is being able to understand your body's not ready for it. And that was what John was talking about. He's like, look, you're going to come into it and you're going to think you're going to feel like a billion bucks and then you get to it and you can't do it. You have to understand that that's not your fault. That's just your body is not ready for it yet. And you have to be able to really become one with your body and mind and understand, okay, if I can't do this, then let's try and work on something else and take it very minute steps at a time. Yeah. Yeah, so what was the, or was there a crystallizing moment or was it kind of a buildup? Was there one moment where you felt like, okay, I'm back to who I was before, not only as a pitcher, but as just, you know, somebody with a healthy body? 
Mm-hmm. Um, really, I thought last year was I was starting to get there, and I started to throw a lot more strikes and, and a lot less walks, which is something that's always been a big thing for me is that I don't, I never want to walk anybody. And, and of course, every pitcher says that, but normally I'm, I'm not a guy that walks individuals. So in the past, coming off my treatment, I had been walking a lot of people and I really didn't feel that sharpness to each one of my pitches and, and the whether or not I have my entire body behind it. And really last year it started to, it started to come and I could, could see glimpses of it. And then when I got called up midway through the season to low A, it was like, okay, they're starting to see it too. And then really this spring training, um, I had a really good spring training and I felt like everything was starting to click. My velo started to come back up a little bit and, and my pitches started to feel a lot more sharper. My changeup was there. My slider was there. And I could start to see me coming over the mountain a little bit per se. And it started, and then during the season, it started to really feel really more comfortable. And I, and I was getting really comfortable on the mound, feeling that I had all my pitches together and my velo was starting to keep creeping up just a little bit. And really it took about till the all-star break um, this year for where it was like, wow, I feel like I'm back on it. I feel like nobody can hit me. And, and that's, I mean, that's just my mentality side of things that that's, that's what I carry to the, to the mound with me. And, and that's, I finally felt comfortable again enough to say that and be like, you know what? I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to take that next step and hopefully that I can and show the Tigers organization that I deserve that next step. And, and fortunately enough for me, they, they saw the same thing and called me up at the end of the year. But it really took, like I said, to the all-star break this year to feel that sharpness again. Yeah, and just for the people at home, uh, just looking at your walk numbers, when you were with Connecticut in 2016, you walked 4.6 per nine. Uh, last year, that was down to 1.3. And then this year, it was also a very, very good 2.3 walks per nine. So you can see that progression in your numbers as well. Uh, what does that kind of, you know, g- given that you got the call up, given that you were feeling good by the All-Star break, uh, what are you expecting this offseason to be like from that perspective, just as somebody who is now feeling sharp, feeling you know, like you are able to fulfill your potential, your potential uh, to its fullest. Uh, really, I'm going to attack the offseason just like I did last offseason. I felt like we had a really good plan. Um, we worked with, uh, I work at a uh, uh, strength and conditioning program. Uh, it's called Rapid Performance, where a bunch of pro guys go, like uh, DJ Mayhew, Charlie Blackman, uh, Spencer Keeboom, Carter Keeboom, a bunch of big name guys go. Sam Howard, he, he he's with the Rockies right now, and and uh, we really, we really, I feel like we hit our stride last year with with the proper workout program, and then the conditioning side of things, and the strength program from the Tigers. They provide a a great strength and conditioning program. I I stayed on tune with the conditioning program that they provided with us last year, and and they do a really good job of being able to work side by side with Rapid and and communicating with one another. So. I'm going to hit the ground running just like I did last year and, and try and uh, attack last offseason or this offseason just like I did last offseason. And uh, hopefully it'll, it'll play, pay dividends again like it did this, this season. So, Yeah, and what is this offseason going to be like for your family? Uh, your brother Clark was a, is a Yankees prospect drafted in the first round. Uh, he, he's coming off Tommy John surgery, was just starting to get healthy at the end. Um, you guys both kind of cl- coming into yourselves now. Uh, what is the, the mood like around the family, uh, getting you guys both out there on the mound for hopefully you know, a fully healthy and full uh, 2019? 
Uh, it's always hectic here at the Schmidt household. We, uh, <laughs> we, we've, we've never been able to uh, please our parents in both aspects, just making it very easy for them. Um, but uh, no, we're extremely excited. Our parents are they're known to travel the, the countryside watching both of us pitch wherever we are. They'll split up and they'll come back together. And then one parent will get us one weekend and the other parent will get us the next. It's, they're, they're, what they do is incredible. But uh, Clark and I are very excited. Like I said, we both work out at Rapid Performance and uh, we do uh, all the exercises and all the things that we can possibly think of to strengthen our bodies and prepare ourselves for that long, that long grind of a full minor league season. So we are we're very excited. Um, the family here couldn't be even more happier just to be able to uh, hopefully see a, a full, healthy uh, 2019 season and be able to see a lot of baseball in their future. Yeah, and, and you guys are both in the American League. Like I said, he's with the Yankees, you're with the Tigers. There's the potential someday, you know, whether you're coming out of the bullpen or he's starting or coming out of the bullpen, where you could be on opposite ends uh, looking into the other dugout and seeing your brother there. Uh, when you imagine that moment, what do you think that would be like? Uh, I mean, it's it's for both of us growing up and, and knowing where we were um, and how we how we've worked so hard at this craft and, and tried to uh, to get to where we are now. It's it's it almost wants to bring a tear to both of our eyes. I know that uh, just because we're so excited to see us on this journey and trying to see our dreams realized and, and something that we've been, every kid has when they're growing up, like they, they dream of being able to throw uh, in the World Series game seven, bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded and, and make that pitch. I mean, for me, it's almost the same exact feeling if I get to see my little brother across the way in the uh, opposing dugout. And just like it was in college, like, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was an amazing feeling to be able to pitch against each other and, and, um, be able to see each other in that aspect, but it's, it'll be nothing compared, comparatively speaking to being able to face him in the minor leagues or hopefully one day in the majors. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned college because I was going to bring this up. Uh, what was it like the day he decided he was going to South Carolina uh, for you, a Clemson guy? Oh, I mean, of course. Everybody, Whenever this comes up, everybody asks me the same questions. Or, and uh, this is the one that's always funny to me is because I always say that Clark is his own individual. He was he's very strong minded, strong willed and, and he wanted to make his, his own way and cut his own path. And and I think that that was like his big thing coming out of high school. Like I said, I was I was very fortunate enough to be a big prospect and he was kind of he was he was a prospect nonetheless and, and he wanted to be able to go to his own university and be able to make a name for himself and just like it's evident now, he clearly did and, and just absolutely flourished in South Carolina and they and I couldn't be any more proud of him and, and be any more happier from a big brother standpoint for him yeah I was gonna say that's a usually when we say you're just being a big brother I feel like that's usually talking about giving your little brother crap but I feel like that was a genuinely nice big brother thing to say yeah so, yeah from somebody who is a big brother I, I appreciate you saying that 
so so we'll end on this one um you know going into 2019 you probably start out the year at lakeland uh you know just three levels away from the majors what do you feel like you need to do as part of your game you talked about sharpening up the control uh but what do you mm-hmm. feel like you need to do as a reliever to kind of make that next jump uh because the minor leagues it's tough to stand out as a reliever uh obviously yeah. so many relievers on each team what do you feel like you need to do to make that jump in 2019 not necessarily to the majors but to put that in even clearer view yeah uh so for me i think one of the big things for me and especially this previous season was it really was one or two outings that really only spiked my era up and it felt like as a reliever especially it's difficult for us to be able to kind of claw back and and be able to lower that era but for me i think especially if i want to make a name for myself in this upcoming season i need to eliminate those one or two outings and if I eliminate those two outings, stay consistent in the zone like I was this year, uh, be able to come into big spots and be um, the guy that they can call to out of the bullpen, I think that I could definitely see myself and hopefully uh, the Tigers organization will see that jump in me and be able to uh, determine that I could be called up to the next level and, and hopefully continue that dream. All right. Well, we'll be following you closely for sure. Uh, Clay, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck this offseason in your preparation and and staying healthy. And uh, we'll keep an eye out for 2019. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. We head out to Des Moines, Iowa, where we find Benjamin Hill this week at the promo seminar, which is underway for minor league baseball in 2018. Hey, Ben, how is uh, how's the promo seminar going so far? There kind of changes a foot in the promo seminar, but let's talk about this season first. How's uh, how's it going so far? Yeah, hey, Tyler. Um, it's weird, you know. I'm talking to you, and there's no Sam Dykes. No he's Sam usually Dykes sitting or... near me. Yeah, he's usually providing. You know, his presence is is just kind of comforting to me. So he's a good um, clubhouse guy. He is. He's a really good clubhouse guy, so we're going to have to persevere without him. But I think we're okay. I think we're going to be okay. But (laughs) I miss you, Sam. I wish you were sitting to my left or right. But, um, yeah, so the promo seminar, you know, we've done segments from the promo seminar before. But the promo seminar is, it's technically the minor league baseball promotional seminar. And uh, its existence is to have teams from all over the industry you know, not not everyone from every team attends, but most teams are represented here, and it's an idea sharing event. You know, in the wake of the season, when the past season is fresh, to um, to share ideas and to talk about what worked and what didn't, and uh, then take those ideas home and maybe implement them for the next year. You know, this industry, uh, as you know, you know, doesn't compete with one another. Every team's in its own market, so. Um, it's just a good event for everyone to come together, and it's good to see people too, because when you work in baseball you know, you're immersed in your own season and your own market and your own everything else. So it's cool to see uh, the whole, not the whole industry, but a lot of people together. So that's the situation here in Des Moines, and that's been a great host city, and it's a great hotel. You know, you don't leave the hotel very often. It's a big hotel. It's a Hilton. And uh, that's where I'm talking to you from right now. Every uh, host city for the promo seminar kind of gets to put their own stamp, their own spin. I know um, that there's been a lot of cool stuff that's already uh, gone down for this one. There was a cool lights display at the home of the Iowa Cubs who have an all new LED lighting system. I know um, a lot of team representatives visited uh, one of the hockey arenas in town. There was the kind of the charitable act that uh, front office members get to be a part of. What is what is Iowa's host um, performance been like? What have they done that stood out to you? 
Yeah, well, I mean, one of the, I, I got here on Monday night, so I missed the first day of the promo seminar. Um, but it's still a lot of promo seminar to take in. But yeah, last night um, we went to the Wells Fargo Arena, home of the A American Hockey League's uh, Iowa Wild, and uh, got a tour of that facility. And uh, then had, you know, on the ice hors d'oeuvres and uh, and drinks and stuff like that. I mean, it wasn't technically on the ice. They put, like, some covering on the ice so we weren't slipping around. But it's really <laughs> cool uh, to, to hang out in that kind of environment, to see how other teams operate, to go to a city and not just engage um, with that city's minor league baseball team, but with the sports scene as a whole. And you do find that with the promo seminar that – um, you know, when you go to a place, you usually will have representatives from the city's other sports teams. So there's kind of a cross pollination of ideas, uh, which is which is pretty cool. And um, so, yeah, that was a highlight. And uh, yeah, there's just like so much going on. I'm just coming out of a trade show uh, mixer right now. We had a you know charitable build uh, bidding on uh, on all sorts of things that have been donated, and of course a bunch of trade show vendors and. Uh, you know, it's just hard to keep track of it all. There were like between inning contest style um, relay races going on on the floor of this mixer with it all going to charity somehow. It's a lot to keep track of per usual in minor league baseball. You just take in as much as you can. Well, and coming up next season, the kind of origination of the promo seminar, um, the site of that was El Paso, Texas. Promo seminar heads back there next year, but there are some changes in the works uh, perhaps for the promo seminar next year. Give us a, a look at that. Yeah, well, the the minor league baseball promotional seminar, um, the genesis of the event goes back to the El Paso Diablos, who were um, at that time a Double A Texas League team, and a guy named Jim Paul ran that team and was known at the time. This is you know thirty thirty five years ago. You know, was known at the time for being really innovative and creative in the world of promotions, and so he just invited you know from friends and uh you know people within minor league baseball for a very informal gathering in el paso to talk about the season to share ideas and um that is the genesis of the promotional seminar which over the years got bigger and bigger and then solidified into this event that is run by minor league baseball proper but its humble origins go back to jim paul and the el paso diablos and so next year one the event goes back to el paso uh, which is now, of course, home of the Chihuahuas, which is I think is pretty cool because I haven't been to El Paso since um, I, I saw uh, the El Paso Chihuahuas play in their first season, and it, I was really kind of struck by that city. So it's one, it's cool that they're having it in El Paso, but then two, in addition to returning to its roots, they're now kicking off a new era, and there's been a rebranding. You know, we talk about rebrandings a lot in the off season, but we usually don't talk about rebranding in regard to uh, industry events. But here we go. From hence, uh, from 2019 onward, the minor league baseball promotional promotional seminar will be the Innovators Summit. So, what that means at this point, I don't know, but uh, it's a cool rebranding. So, no more promo seminar. Innovators, Innovators Summit. Summit. Innovators Summit coming up in 2019 and beyond. I think people have to bring like their own and you know weird inventions. It'll be like a science fair. I think that's exactly what it's going to be like. You have to bring an invention to get through the door, and it'll be like this kind of like fighting for patents. And um, I don't even know what else, but I think it's going to be something totally different. But we're going to see things that are invented at the summit that will uh, ultimately be of a huge benefit to mankind. 
Ben, tell us um, about uh, there's been a whole lot of affiliation changes. And I know the, the promo seminar isn't exactly, you know, the winter meetings where uh, major league and minor league teams are, are mingling and all that type of stuff. But we've had so many affiliation changes so far. Is there much discussion in the air there about, um, you know, just how different the landscape is going to look? Obviously, this week, Chattanooga goes uh, from the Minnesota Twins back to the Cincinnati Reds organization. That was the latest move. Uh, but we've had a ton of affiliation dominoes falling all over the place. What's the the conversation been like about that? You know, it's funny you ask that because, yes, if this was the winter meetings where major and minor leagues are mixing, um, I think there'd be a lot of talk about that sort of thing. But the promo seminar sets discussions. It's not that they're not happening, but they're not front and center. They are not dominating the conversation because this is so focused on what teams do um, you know, for their promotions, for their game entertainment, for what they do to get fans in the stands. And quite frankly, that has very little to do with the affiliation of the team. It's just two sides of the operation that don't really cross very, very much. So uh, I think it is, it's funny that you ask that because it makes me think right now uh, how completely devoid <laughs> this event is of such um, key uh, baseball topics such as affiliation because it doesn't really – affect you know what your between inning contests are going to be what your giveaways are going to be what your uh, copa de la diversion identity is going to be whatever the case is um and, and that's not only baseball there's just you're on two different streams and your relationship with the major league team is is not going to affect how you promote the team uh, much at all except in certain situations the soul of the games that you'll be attending will be the same regardless of who the parent clubs are. Um, but Ben brings up the final point of this week's conversation. Copa de la Diversión minor league baseball uh, are released this week. There are a ton more teams um, into that pool in 2019, which is really, really cool. An initiative for minor league baseball um, to reach out to uh, Spanish-speaking Latin American community um, in all minor league markets, really, especially the ones that have participated already in the rebrands and the um, different uniforms and logos and team names, but a lot more teams will join that in 2019. Give us the lowdown on that a little bit. Yeah. You know, I don't have too much information beyond what has been released in the press release. I mean, I, to be honest, I do have some information based on informal discussions, but uh, I cannot divulge. Unfortunately, I really wish I could. I know some things actually, <laughs> but um, big picture. Uh, what, what do we have last year? I believe it was 33 teams participating in the program. Yeah, that sounds right. And, uh, and so this year we got 79, which is essentially half of the industry. Um, so I think that shows uh, the extent to which it's growing, the extent to which teams that uh, saw the benefit it had um, are now saying like, okay, we should have gotten on this already, but now we definitely will. I think you also see teams reevaluating uh, their commitment to it who were involved last year. You know, teams like Los Chihuahuas or El Storm of Lake Elsinore, um, I think might be thinking, okay, we committed, but we didn't commit as much as we should have. And you know what gets name dropped the most around here? You know, not not surprising, San Antonio and the Flying Shankless. <laughs> you know, like cause yeah. that's the one that got the most buzz. And, and I've heard it name dropped in different presentations um, because that's the one that got the most uh, reaction. And of people who are of Hispanic, of Latino descent, uh, that's it actually told a story and, and spoke to something in their childhoods that were was something they really related to and laughed at and thought was amazing. So I think the further we go down this road, the more you're going to find teams 
um, you know, really trying to find very specific things that really speak uh, to Hispanic culture. But you know what? Of course, <laughs> to do that well, you need, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise, but you need Hispanic people uh, on your staff who can inform you with that as opposed to, um, you know, to be honest, you know, a mostly white staff uh, guessing what the Hispanic uh, population might react to. I think it really speaks to the, truly the need for diversity in front office staffs because um, there is a lot of untapped potential in that market. And uh, things like the Flying Shankles and, and in Copa in general, I think, speak to, you know, how much deeper this can go. So t- stay tuned at MILB.com. Uh, more on that stuff coming out as we get closer and closer to 2019. Benjamin Hill is on the road. He is on Twitter at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Um, speaking of on the road, the final on the road story from 2018 is up on the site right now about Jackie Robinson Ballpark, the home of the Daytona Tortugas. Great story. It's up on the site right now. And uh, Ben, enjoy the rest of the time in Des Moines. And we'll talk to you next week. Hey, thank you, Tyler and Sam. Um, Thank you for usually being beside me, and I'll get through without you today. Um, there's only one set of footprints in the sand right now, but I know that you're caring. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Final segment of this week's episode number 179 of the Show Before the Show podcast. Thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription on iTunes and Google Play and MILB.com slash podcast. You can catch up on past episodes. Um, we're just getting started on off-season content. Actually, I have my first interview for Organization All-Star Story today. Um, so Org All-Stars gets started next week. Milby's coming up soon as well, Sam. Yeah, Milby's, we're, we're starting to put together the finalists for, for those groups. And, and we'll do the Milby spectacular that we do every year. Tyler and I put on tuxes and do our we best do. award ceremony. Uh, it, it's an audio medium. There's no way you can prove that we don't put on tuxes. So look forward to that exactly. as well. That'll be coming in, in the coming weeks, not before next week. Organization All-Stars will, will start uh, before then. Uh, but who do you guys have first? Because Kelsey and Josh have actually been here the entire time. What? What? <laughs> Yeah, true. as we much have. as I love listening to Ben Hill talk, I've had to <laughs> be live for this whole podcast episode. You guys are always have just creeping around. No, who do you who do you guys have for work all stars? Uh, I have the Reds and um, another team that you guys should be really excited for. <laughs> <laughs> that will be revealed exactly. at a certain point in the future. Uh, the, I did start the Reds already, and the, I was saying, you know, Nick Senzel's Twitter handle is little Senzi. Uh, so like every time I was looking at the numbers and like that he couldn't be on this list because he was injured, I was just like poor little Senzi. But one day, <laughs> Kelsey has the Kelsey has the Reds. Isn't that a isn't it, the twins, uh, a Dickens way. novel? Poor little Senzi. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I think it might be uh, a, a short story, but sure. Reds and twins, by the yes. way. That's Kelsey's. Yes, other I also one. have the twins, so that will be double the fun. Josh Jackson is uh, is too cool for school. He's only got you only have one. Oh no, you've got two. Never mind. Right? Yeah, I don't know who they are. I'm, I'm <laughs> off next week, and I'm not uh, looking ahead of that until uh, until after that. So how did, how we'll did find I get out. Three? How did that happen? You guys got two. I got three. What happened? Because you are an org all star, all star. I've got the Braves coming up. <laughs> I've got the, the Atlanta organization coming up on Wednesday, which I may as well just let Sam write. Um, I've got the Rockies coming up on October 17th. And uh, later on, I have the upstart Oakland Athletics. And, uh, yes, Jesus Luzardo will be on there. 
Pretty safe. Pretty Spoiler safe to alert. say. Yeah. There's a little, there's I know. A little tip off. <laughs> now I'm not going to read it. <laughs> suspense was going down to the end. Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, as to whether or not he was going to be there. Actually, I don't know if that's uh, Thanksgiving week or if the week prior is Thanksgiving. Whatever. I've had a long day. I was waiting around for Dom Cheedy, the director of player development for the Atlanta, to call me all morning, and it's been a long day. So just ignore my bad jokes now. Sam got his out of the way. I'm getting mine out of the way, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For Josh Jackson, Kelsey Hennigan, and Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Mon. We will talk to you next week. Org All-Stars getting started on Monday. Check out MILB.com for those, and we'll talk to you next week.